Well, this morning we are in Ecclesiastes series called Chase. I'm going to finish this up in a few weeks, probably around Labor Day weekend or after, and, and then the next series I'm so excited about. But I want to walk you through God's Word. So we've been kind of walking through it kind of slow, and today I want to jump over to chapter 8. And I want to talk to you about authority, about kingdom authority, about authority for the believer in Jesus Christ and what that means. How often have you heard the term separation of church and state? We hear that a lot in our world, in the news, in the broadcast. And it's a chant for those that think that the church should go back in a hole sometimes and be quiet and should be devoid of any activity. So they raise the banner. The First Amendment to the Constitution raises this for us that it wasn't written, though, that spiritual people would be uninvolved. I think it, that wasn't the case. You read about the, the founding fathers, and some of them have profound Christian faith. Amen. Can you say amen? And we've gotten so far away from that. We have a lot of attorneys in our church, and they've studied constitutional law, and they understand what it means a lot better than I do. I just get really upset when we try to get so much separation that we try to get out of touch. But it is there for a reason. I love that we can come and we can worship freely here today. And I like where Jesus said, I want you to be salt, and I want you to be light in society. I want you to be prevalent and let the light of my son, the Father says, let it shine through you. And Jesus said, Father, I pray that you don't take them out of the world, but I pray that you send them back into the world to call others out of the world that they would meet Jesus. See, so many times the Christian church has been accused of being in a foxhole, of being in a holy huddle, and they just go to church and then they disperse. And they go to church and they disperse, but they don't disperse being the light, and I pray that we'll get that. Father, help believers today, those that call upon the name of Jesus, to not run to the cave, not to hide in the cavern of their heart, but to open their heart to the King, to the Lord God Almighty. This morning, I'm going to kind of do this in two parts, but I want to talk briefly, kind of a conversation, six truths on authority. We have to deal with authority from the time we're born to the time we die. It's just the way God's created it. Ultimately, we know that it's His authority. His authority trumps. His authority rules. And we explore that. Uh, whether you're six months or six years or 16 or 66 or older, you're subject to authority in your life. It, it's always been there. It always will be. If it wasn't, we'd be in trouble. Fill in the first blank. Look at authority and understand who is really in charge. Sometimes we think we're in charge. I've been accused of that. Probably you've been accused of that. that you think you're in charge, and you're really not. And, and here in this book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 8, who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face, and it changes its hard appearance. In verse 2, obey the king's command. Solomon knew about authority. He was the king. They were subject to his leadership, to his rulership, and he ruled and as I think about our life this morning, I'm thinking about, as I told you, I think last weekend or over this series, that the nation of Israel insisted, God, we want a king. The other pagan nations have a king. We want a king. No, you don't want a king. God, we want a king. God gave them a king. God, we do not want a king. Could you take the king back? Happens to us many times. Let me tell you about authority who's really in charge. 
this morning, when you get out of here, you will leave and you will go to eat lunch somewhere or you'll go home, but you'll leave with a destination in mind. You'll get on the road and some of you will have to get on the interstate and some will get on the highways and some will get on the two-lane roads. And it doesn't matter. You'll get and you'll have a heavy foot and you will begin to speed. And don't raise your hand because so many of you are guilty like Pastor Keith, okay? And the way that we view authority is how we treat God. We go, I hope Montgomery's finest is not around the corner. Just about a month ago, I thought I'd seen it all. I'm standing out here and I'm greeting people having a great day. And I looked over and one of Montgomery Police Department's finest was hiding behind the church wall, the church entrance, in that he might entrap, excuse me, that he might catch somebody. And I thought, what is he doing? It's hard enough to get people to church, but now we've got a cop hanging behind the wall and he stops them in Jesus' name. <laughs> I went over to my friend Jimmy. He is one of the policemen that goes to church here. And I don't know if he said something because I haven't seen him back. Hallelujah. It just, it's, they teach us in, in seminary and that's not a great church growth tactic to bring the police to take you out. 1 Peter 2.13 the scripture says, just write down the reference, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether it is the king as the head of state. But we submit to authority. Romans 13, I don't have time to read it today, but it's a beautiful chapter about the authority of God through the government. I'm grateful for that. Now, some of you are going, well, I don't know about this authority. We'll, we'll keep on. So who's in charge? God's in charge. He's the king. And sometimes we wonder and we struggle with authority and who's in charge and we get negative counsel from others and, and we often wonder about what's going to happen. But I want you to look at this second point. Opinion does not trump obedience. I love that statement. Opinion does not trump obedience. Now, as I think about that, some of us have rather strong opinions. And some of us have been known to be verbose and to share our opinions when we probably shouldn't share them. And there's a right time, and we'll see that in a minute, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But as I'm thinking about this, I'm, I'm, I want to back up. Who's really in charge? I, I think about it this way. When kids are little, parents have this inherent desire to make sure they eat green things and they grow up and be healthy. I love green vegetables. I love them off the chart. That's just kind of weird. There's some things I don't like, but I like a lot of the odd vegetables. But you, you take a little child and you go, you know, these are your peas and these are your greens, Johnny, and blah, 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 and this is what I want you to eat. And Johnny goes, I don't think so. I want Oreos. And mom goes, Johnny's verbal skills are picking up quite well. And then Johnny insists, nah. I don't want the greens. I want Oreos. And dad comes in and says, sure, Johnny, pushes the plate aside and gives him Oreos. I don't think that happens, does it? If it does, then you're probably in my office for serious counseling. Can I just go ahead and say the S word in here? You're stupid, okay? I'm sorry. If somebody got upset about that, I thought it was funny. Okay, here we go. That's just dumb. But... We're trying to teach the kids you have authority, and authority is for your protection. We want you to eat healthy. Now, what kid doesn't want ice cream and Oreos? Right now, I'm thinking an Oreo blizzard would be great, you know? Wait a minute, we gave out ice cream last weekend. Okay, let's keep moving. Okay. But you know, it doesn't stop with kids. 
You get to elementary school, you get to middle school, you get to high school, and you still think that you have a strong opinion and you want to do it. But you know what? You think your opinion is better or stronger or it trumps obedience, but it doesn't. Jesus is so blessed. He commands, he desires obedience from us as his kids. Obey him. Obey the authority of the land. Obey the government. We'll continue to build it. Look at the third point. Authority can be questioned at the right time, though, and in the right way. I'm not just saying we, I mean, when they're young, you probably don't have a lot of opinion or they don't share a lot. As they get a little older, they get it. And in high schoolers, they, they tend to have lots of opinions. But I think about somebody in our city that we celebrate often that made a mark for the nation, Rosa Parks. She stood up. She did it in a very peaceful, demonstrating kind of way. Martin Luther, the great theologian, he stood up and he nailed the thesis to the wall, to the door, the church, because he didn't think grace could be bought. He thought it was a gift of God, and the church said, but he stood up. Because of that, we had the Protestant Reformation. We could go through a whole history lesson. But if you move down through chapter 8 here, he talks about obeying the king's commands. Look at verse 5. Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the procedure. I believe the message is going to come up, the translation from Eugene Peterson. Eugene is a Greek scholar, and he says it a little differently, but I want to quote Eugene Do what your king commands. You gave a sacred oath of obedience. Don't worry. Secondly, guess your orders or try to back out when the task is unpleasant. You're serving his pleasure, not yours. I love that. The king has the last word. Who dares to say to him, what are you doing? Carrying out orders won't hurt you a bit. The wise person obeys promptly and accurately. Yes, there's a right time and a way for everything. Even though, unfortunately, we miss it for the most part, it is true that no one knows what's going to happen or when, who's around to tell us. There's a right time, there's a right season, and there's a proper way to address things. Amen? It doesn't mean we're just, we're dumb and we don't have a thought or an opinion. It just means obedience is greater than that. And it says it's the right time, a right way. I think it's important for us. But then, let's move here. Fourth, obedience to authority doesn't always feel good. I mean, sometimes it just doesn't feel good to obey authority. Here's one. Driving down the road, and there's dotted lines. The dotted lines turn to solid lines, and you decide, I want to pass somebody. That's not very smart. The dotted lines are there to protect you. It's safe to pass. The solid lines means your view is obstructed. You're going to probably hurt. Well, let me go to the ultimate one about not feeling good. It's our blessed Redeemer, Jesus Christ. He went to the hill of Golgotha. He hung after he was beaten on a rugged cross. It didn't feel good for Jesus Christ to die, to make propitiation, to make atonement for you and me. But I'm so glad that Jesus said, obedience to my Father trumps how I feel, and he went all the way to the cross. Amen. Amen. You can clap your hands there. Come on now. That's salvation. That's costly salvation there this morning. So obedience doesn't feel good. Jesus knows. I mean, that's a supreme example. The fifth one, obedience to authority brings protection. When you obey, sometimes you're safe or you're saved from harm. You're saved from injury. It's just a good thing. And I'll give you some biblical examples just to write down, and you can go look them up later. Noah, 
Obedience saved him and his family from the flood. Obedience. Abraham, his obedience resulted in becoming the father of a great nation, God's chosen people, Israel. Moses led the people out of Egyptian bondage. It was a good thing. Joshua won the battle of Jericho by following God's supernatural strategy. God, thank you for protection. David refused to harm Saul, the anointed king of God, and it served him well. Peter obeyed Jesus' command to fish in the heat of the day. And what happened? He was successful. But Paul followed God's will, and he took the gospel to the Gentiles, and we have the gospel today because of Paul. Amen? It's a good thing. So, uh, protection. Green light, red light, yellow light. It's all there for protection. In Montgomery, we needed an extra safeguard because we were a city that was out of control, and I certainly have been there many times, and we would like to speed through, accelerate through red lights, so now we have traffic cams all over Montgomery. I'm just telling you, if you're new in Montgomery, you're going to get busted if you're not careful, if you don't obey the laws of the land, the city, and the, what it's there for. It, it's there to bring authority. It's, you remember Blake a few weeks ago when he did the student address? I thought it was wonderful. And he talked about the umbrella. We're under the authority of God. When we're children of God, the umbrella is over our head, and we're under that authority. And when we obey God, God protects us. Already this morning, somebody prayed over me and over you and over this church. They prayed a hedge of protection. Amen. We are under the authority of God. We really are in Christ Jesus. And the sixth one is this. Obedience to authority brings us presence. Obedience to his authority brings us presence. I wrote that down and I wanted to talk about it and God interrupted me this morning. Obedience to his authority brings protection. As I obey him, as you obey him to humble yourself and to be broken before him and to worship him and to praise him, he comes. He protects. And he gives his presence. This morning was very, very raw and intimate and special. I don't want you to ever forget August 24th 2014. The Lord came in a special way this morning. I really sensed it all through the congregation. You could feel it. You could experience it. You could taste it. You could taste and see that the Lord is good and His presence is here. Get in on His presence. Daily, get in on His presence. Hour by hour, get in on His presence. Now let's move to this next section. Because I've talked a little bit about just a conversation that maybe you could have with your kids. Any of these points would be great conversation starters to have with your kids about this is the way our house runs. This is the way our house is ordered. This next section, a general outline of the book. I just put it in a quick little block. You're like, wow, that's going to be fast. <laughs> I fooled you, didn't I? Number one, a citizen's submission. The theme of chapter 8 is about authority and submission to the authority. And in America, there's going to be an image that's going to come up. See if y'all know who he is. Who is he? Uncle Sam, yeah. 
And he's the symbol of the American government. We submit to that. And it was popularized by the War of 1812. In Congress in 1960, they came with this precept of this character of the American government, known as Uncle Sam. I didn't realize it was just the, the, the year, right after, you know, I was born in 59, so just a few years after that, Uncle Sam became very popular. So I could ask the question today, how are you getting along with Uncle Sam? Write that in your notes. How are you getting along with Uncle Sam, with the government? Some of you go, or not very well, or I just did time, or I'm thinking about doing time, or they're thinking about having me do time, or... Or I'm cheating on my income tax. I hope they don't catch me. Or I'm doing it, you know, I don't know, just let it you know, wherever the shoe falls, okay? But I want to ask a better question. We're reading Ecclesiastes. How are you doing with Uncle Solomon? <laughs> the king. How are you doing with God's servant, Solomon, as he teaches these truths in Holy Scripture about what we should do and what we shouldn't do and doing things in extreme a citizen's submission to the government is what God's holy word from Romans 13, from Ecclesiastes 8, from 1 Peter, from all through the Old and New Testament, we would see that God is into order, into authority. Ecclesiastes says, I say keep the king's command. Now you say that's easy for the king to say, but notice why. For the sake of your oath to God, do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. And you just begin to read this literature, this word here in Solomon, uh, from Solomon there in Ecclesiastes, and you see the authority of government and how powerful it is. And Solomon wrote as one that was head of state, because he was the king. Remember I said the other day, in this time, a monarchy was established. They didn't have the democracy as we know today as a republic. They had a monarchy, but we have a government. We submit. We have allegiance to it. And the king just cuts to the chase there at verse 2 and says that submission is part of God's will. So just write somewhere in your notes today, submission has always been the way of the Father. Submission to God's will is what Christ calls me and you to. Allegiance for them was for the king to the kingdom of Israel. Ours is to the kingdom of God as believers. Here it is. This morning, I remember it in school. It was a great thing to do. I pledge allegiance to the flag. Yeah, and I would pledge it, but I started something years ago. I did it this morning in my study on my knees. It helps me get right with the God. I wake up and I say, good morning, Lord. And I talk to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And I begin to praise Him for Donna. And I praise Him for my girls and for my son-in-law and for my granddaughter and for our one to be unborn. And I praise Him for the church. But somewhere in the morning before I get here, I get on my knees. And it works for me. And I put my hand over my heart and I go, I pledge allegiance to you, Lord Jesus, to be a kingdom man today. I pledge allegiance to being a godly husband. I pledge allegiance to being a godly father and a grandfather. I pledge allegiance to being a pastor that would preach the gospel. Amen. And I get up. Isn't that powerful? I just want to remember who I serve. And sometimes through the day, you know, I put on my armor. I've told you about that, but I just try to get it right. And it's under God, Lord, your liberty, you rule, you reign. God, you're great. 
Romans 13, let every soul be subject to governing authorities. Every would include yours and mine. For there's no authority except from God. And the authorities that existed are appointed by God. Let me tell you a quick story. When you get pulled over the next time, here's a thought. Here comes God's ministers. You're like, well, I don't like them. I ain't going to the church. But they are ministers of the government. They are. It's just a way to think about it. Lord, we're grateful that they restrain us from doing crazy stuff. There's three institutions that God puts in society. Write them down. The three institutions are the family, the church, and the state. I could talk about the family. I'll maybe even do a series maybe in the fall or sometime. I don't know. One day I'm going to do another series on the, on the family, on parenting. And then there's the church, and I love the church, the bride of Christ. And then there's the state. The sovereign God, he rules in power, and if we're Christians, then we submit ourselves to that, and we have allegiance to the King of kings and Lord of lords. In the Civil War in the 1850s, because of slave trade in America, and it was wrong, you know, it was like, well, how are people going to react as believers? And we eventually abolished slavery. It was a great thing. In the 1930s, there was a leader that rose up in Europe, and his name was Adolf Hitler, and he hated Jews, and he killed some six million of them so what do we do do we obey the government do we disobey the government or there's times that we would not obey the government here's one the pharaoh the king the government issued a decree a law that all the midwives kill every hebrew male child as soon as they're born and the midwives decided to disobey the government in exodus chapter one if you want to just write it down the midwives feared god and did not do as the king of egypt commanded and i say amen I think we should submit to the government. That's right and holy. But there's a time when it goes against our Christian faith that we go, Lord, I can't. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he says, I cannot bow, for I have to worship the true God, Jehovah. In Daniel chapter 3, I love it. In the New Testament, there's, this, there's this, the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin Council that rules, and they're the ruling body of Jews, and they had jurisdiction over all Jerusalem, especially the temple area. And the early apostle says, and they were told, you can no longer go and preach the gospel in public. And they did it anyway. <laughs> Are you glad they preached the gospel? They made a proclamation, so they decided to break the law. Jesus said, go into all the world preaching the gospel of the good news. So yes, there's exceptions. I don't, I don't want you to run out and say, I'm the exception. You make sure you're the exception. You make sure it's not honoring to our king. If you're a good Christian, you'll be a good citizen. Write that down. If you're a good Christian, you'll be a good citizen. But when it violates, when it breaks the ethical, when it breaks the moral, the supreme, the authoritative law of God, then it's time for the church to rise and stand. Three words I want you to write down today. Submission, involvement, and prayer. We submit to God. We submit to the government. We get involved. It's time for the church to be involved. It's time for the church to be the light. And also it means the church should pray. So I have a simple practical application because that's the way my mind works. Do you have a time daily or weekly that you submit and you pray for our government officials and for those in authority over us? And if you say no, then don't walk out of here guilty. Just walk out of here saying, I choose now by what 1 Timothy says, I am called upon to pray for all those kings and rulers and authority over me. I will begin to pray. 
That brings power to a government. That brings power to a church. 1 Timothy 2, that supplications, prayers, and giving thanks, no matter who's in office, should be given for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that they may live a quiet and peaceful life. And so many times I'm thinking, God, I am so guilty. I do not pray for our national, state, and local leaders like I should. So let's begin to pray for them. Maybe in our prayer meeting we'll even have a time where we do that. It's a New Testament principle. It's God's word. It's God's provision. The government has, well, I think about, it. let's look at this. A government's provision is the next part. The government has, did I just go out? No, there we go. They, they provide, they, they, is, is a form of our protection. How many of you are grateful for the government this morning? Just ask me. Are, are you, are, let me know. Are you grateful for the government today? Is the government perfect? <laughs> no. Are you perfect? Okay, so we're in good shape. Okay. And the government, I mean, I know, they raise their taxes, and Pastor Keith, he whines, and come over, we'll have a kumbaya and a Kool-Aid or something. I don't know. Kool-Aid. I ain't had Kool-Aid since I was a kid. I don't know where that came from. Let's have a Mountain Dew in Jesus' name. Okay. But we, we break our trust with God, and we need to pray for people. We need to pray for our government, for those in authority. And Ecclesiastes just begins to alienate, and he begins to talk to us about this. And then in verse 10, just to look down here, I, I thought about... Uh, you attorneys in, in, in your lives. Then too I saw the wicked buried and those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. And when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, to do wrong. In other words, when we delay criminals. So I'm grateful for our I'm having a problem with my mic, aren't I? With the, with the executive powers, but with the judicial system. And, that, and, and it's back working now because you're walking to me, but you're going to give it to me anyway. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, thank you, Jeff. Okay. All right. Sorry about that, people. All right. So our laws, uh, you know, they state that a person is innocent until proven guilty. And our law demands that every person be given a fair trial. And I think that's a good thing. How about you? Wait a minute. I think it's a good thing, don't you? Due process and all. Okay, you didn't take constitutional law. Okay, anyway, let's just move on. All right. Now, I do think we need strong, godly, fair, impartial judges. How about you? So I think we should pray for them. Are judges subject to be sinners? <laughs> yeah. Are attorneys subject to be sinners? Yeah. Are you subject to be a sinner? Turn to the person next to you and go, you're subject to be a sinner. Okay because I don't want to pick on our judicial system. I'm so grateful for them. But there's a Supreme Court of Heaven, and it has final, ultimate authority. And God calls us to submit to it. And the Scripture teaches that every wrong will be made right, and every right will be rewarded. And it seems like, it appears, that in this world, many times things aren't fair. They're not just because it's just not fair. But he goes on talking about it's prolonged like a shadow. And then the third one quickly is a believer's position. He talks about the position of the child of God for those that believe. And, and when I think about that, um, we, we make our, co our commitment, we make our allegiance to the kingdom of Christ. And we recognize that there's no perfect but an imperfect system of government but yet we are grateful for the system that God has given us as Americans because without it we would have anarchy without it we would have chaos I praise God for the government this morning how about you 
Yeah, that didn't feel like you were too excited about it. Okay. Well, let's just take the government away. See how you like that? I don't think so. You go back to the ancient monarchies with the kings and queens and those that were in rulership and those that disposed of people, and it failed absolutely. And so does our government, but it's the best that we have, so I'm grateful for it and the underpinnings. I like what President James Madison said. We've staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of the government, far from it. We've staked the future of all our political institutions upon the capacity of each and all of us to uh, govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments. I love that. We have departed a long ways from submitting ourselves to the Ten Commandments. If we live by the Ten Commandments, that's a whole other series or message in itself, man, we get blessed. But you know what? We have an imperfect government. We have imperfect people. But I look forward to one day that Jesus makes all things right and we sit down with him. So we make the best with what we have. We stop complaining. We realize, God, you are at work even behind the scenes when I don't think you are. I promise you, God is working right now behind the scenes on our behalf, on the behalf of our nation. So worship team, come. We live in an imperfect world. We're an imperfect people. We have an imperfect government. Everybody does. But there is a pure, holy, perfect God. There's a perfect Redeemer with no more, with no mistakes. He works out the best for us. It's a privilege. As I was doing some study for this message, I was thinking about the nations of the world and how governments aren't as good as ours, or at least I don't think they are, and how they serve. And for hundreds of years, I was reading this story, Western missionaries went throughout China to preach the gospel, and they only reached about, and they felt like they'd reached 800,000 converts in the huge country of China. And then in the 1940s, something atrocity wicked happened that uh, there's a cultural revolution and that communists came in and took over rule so western missionaries were kicked out of china and they thought the gospel was over it'll die but the church went underground the church became a secret and the question was posed will the christians survive in china and when the door opened once again, we got to peek into China, we found out, would the church survive? It was estimated that 50 million converts had given them their lives to Jesus Christ. And then up to 100 million. So here's what I know. The political climate has very little to do with the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the true believer is liberated in the heart and they will rise up and they will make proclamation to God. So I pray for persecuted believers and I call you to. I pray for the underground church and we do. And my friend that I won't call his name that was here weeks ago ministers in a very difficult culture. But I know who calls the shots. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful that we can long for you. And I realize we're on a journey, Father. And this journey gets difficult. And this journey gets hard. But this journey is filled with joy and adventure. But greater than that, it's filled with the presence of you, Lord. And the blessed Holy Spirit that dwells in the hearts of those that are yours. 
And I'm grateful that you do not leave us alone, Lord. And I pray that you would burn in the heart of believers today. You'd burn in our soul. And we would proclaim high above the government, above every authority, the name of Jesus. Lord, we bow and we worship. And yes, we pledge allegiance to your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.